All right, good morning. How's everyone doing? It's good to see you all this morning. Beautiful faces. All right, hopefully you guys all grabbed one of these. Chase was serious. If you don't have one, you can, I'm not going to be offended if you get up now and go grab it. But this is a tool that uh, we just kind of created for you guys. You'll see if you open it up, it's going to have the weekly breakdown of the I am statements that we're looking at as we go kind of through the Gospel of John. We're not going to do the whole Gospel of John. We're just going to focus for the next eight weeks on the I am statements in here. So this is a tool that I hope you would take with you and you would uh, take notes on it. If you're going to gospel communities or Sunday school class, you can take them with you there too. Write notes on it. I would encourage you in your quiet times, pray if the Lord, if you make a prayer request or God gives you anything, scripture to look on, write it in this, write it down in this, um, in this booklet for this season. So uh, my hope and my prayer is that it's a useful tool for you. If you like it, uh, let us know. If you hate it, then let us know too, and that way we know whether or not to do it for the next series. So uh, we're excited about it. I hope you guys are too. Keep it with your Bible, keep it in your car, whatever. Just make sure you have it here uh, each week for some note-taking. All right? So uh, as we start off this series, we're going to be looking at Jesus's I am statements in the Gospel of John. All right? And as, as I've said before, we've, kind of, we've looked at Leviticus, and the focus was how God is holy. And what we've really been trying to look at so far this year is who is this God and how are we called to love him, right? And so uh, we looked at, uh, we looked at uh, Leviticus, and now we looked at uh, the Easter and Christ on the cross and his journey there. And then finally, for the last kind of focus on what does it mean to love God and, and who is this God that we love this morning, uh, this morning, this series, we're going to be doing uh, the, the I am statements in the Gospel of John. I figured what better way to, to see who God is, this God that we love and how we love him, than by looking at his statements about who he is, what, who he says that I am. Now, before we get to John, though, we need to go back a long way. So this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 6. So if you want, you can put one, you know, put one finger there in your Bible and then turn all the way back to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Because really, the, these I am statements, kind of the heart behind them, what's actually being communicated, goes all the way back to Exodus 3. Now, if you followed along in the Leviticus series, you remember, I kind of, I, we talked about this story. What's happening in Exodus chapter 3 is you have this man, Moses, who is an Israelite by birth. If you guys are familiar, maybe you guys watch the cartoon if you're not familiar with the story, the Prince of Egypt, right? His mother saves him in this basket. He's taken into Pharaoh's household. Eventually, uh, he grows and has his place of affluence and power, and he murders another Egyptian, and then he runs away. And so in Exodus 3, where we find uh, Moses, is that he is shepherding uh, these, these sheep, and, and he's in the wilderness, essentially. He's fled, fled for his life, and as he's out shepherding his flock, suddenly a bush catches on fire, begins to burn, and is not fully consumed. And more weird than that, uh, the bush begins to speak to him. All right, now, for us, that may seem distant or far. I don't know how many of you guys are in the wilderness around, you know, shrubs or, or whatever. But just imagine, like, maybe for context for you, if you have a desk job, your desktop catches fire or your laptop catches fire. It's like, it's going up in flames and it's speaking to you. Okay, that's essentially what's going on for Moses. Everyday occurrence and it's, it's crazy, right? And as he gets close... God says, take off your sandals because you're about to be on holy ground, right? And that's kind of how we kicked off our Leviticus series, remember that? Similar thing here, God calls Moses to, to lead his people, so a little bit farther in the story, and specifically in chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses basically says, all right, if, you, if you're calling me to lead these people, who should I say has sent me? 
And God says, tell them that I am who I am has sent me. All right, and in that moment, in that statement, if we were to unpack the Hebrew and, and all of that, God is communicating a lot of things by just saying, I am, right? He, he's communicating, if you look at it, that he is self-sustaining. He doesn't need anything else. He is self-sustaining, okay? He is self, uh, he, he's content with, with himself there. He is the creator, the sustainer of all things. He's communicating that he, I am, I've always been here, I, always, I am here now, and I always will be. So much is being communicated in this I am statement. He is never changing is what he's communicating. So much is here. Ultimately, though, at the core of what God is communicating to Moses, he tells him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of your ancestors, that's who I am. He's essentially declaring to Moses, I am God, the creator, sustainer of all things, always have been, always will be. This is the God that that we worship. He's communicating who he is. So it's so much more when God says, I am, it's so much more than saying, I am, you know, Pastor Joel or or whatever, however we introduce it. It's a big statement. Now, to a Gentile at this time, because we're reading uh, the Gospel of John is written in the New Testament, primarily in a Gentile uh, surrounding culture, but Jesus is interacting with Hebrews and, and Jewish people, right? And so when they hear this statement that Jesus says, I am, they know exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying that he is God. And for them, this is incredibly uh, you know, heretical, if it's not true. If it's true, that means that he's the Christ, he's the Messiah. But as Jesus says, I am, he essentially is communicating to them that he is God. And a lot of them, as we go through the text, are, we're going to find they're very, very uncomfortable with this. All right? The Gospel of John, he is, John is trying to communicate and, and to, his, to his audience that Jesus actually is the Christ, that he is God. The word became flesh, that it dwells among us. We, we read this morning already John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the word, right? What, what, what John is communicating is Jesus always was, he is, and always will be, right? The word was God, right? So he, he's saying Jesus, he's trying to communicate to his audience that Christ actually is the Son of God. All right, so that's the history of the I am. So this is going to be all of our statements over the next few weeks. You need to understand the background leading up to that all comes back to this story with Moses where God declares that I am. And on over and over again, God refers to himself as I am. All right, now to get to the text today. So flip back, you can flip back to John chapter 6 if you want. And in John chapter 6, we're going we're gonna to drop in like about halfway through the chapter. So before we do that, though, I want to give context. So in, in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 20, we have this story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He's around the Sea of Galilee. He's outside of the city. And all of these people have, have come around him to listen to his teachings. It says that he's healing um, some people and, and teaching them. And, and at one point, uh, basically, Jesus turns to Philip as almost to test Philip, one of his disciples, and says, says, so uh, how are we going to feed all these people, Philip? It's almost like this test for Philip. And what Philip should say in that moment is, well, I don't know, Jesus, like you're the son of God, you're the bread of life, you provide for, for everyone everything, right? You, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to figure it out. And Philip instead turns to Jesus and is like, man, you know how much money it would cost? It costs 200 denarii to feed all these people, right? And so he kind of still not quite getting it. 
But Jesus performs this miracle where the bread multiplies, the fish multiply, and everyone is fed, right? So you have these people who already are struggling normally with hunger. They get this great meal. They eat their fill, and there's an abundance left over, right? And as that miracle finishes, then Jesus and his disciples, he he goes away. So they're at one point along the side of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus goes back to Capernaum, all right? And this is where we're going to pick up our story in in John chapter 6, verses 22-22. To 35. John chapter 6, verses 22 to 35. Uh, if you would, if you're able to, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning? <clears throat> on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then he said to them, what mu-, Then they said to him, What must we be doing to do the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your statements, your I am statements in the Gospel of John. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come this morning, that you ultimately would be the teacher. Lord, anything that's for me and not of you would get out of the way, would go in one ear and out the other, and only things that are from you uh, would resonate in our hearts this morning. We thank you for your word. Um, minister to us over this series as we look at your I am statements. In your name we pray. Amen. So my family and I, we moved here in 2015 to Chambersburg, and one of the things that I found that I love to do very quickly was uh, I love to fish, and it's fishing season has officially started yet. Fishing season is year-round for me, so it doesn't really start, but anyways, uh, I, I, so I, what I did quickly was I got on Google Maps, and I just started like scanning the area for bodies of water that I would try to then find and fish. And doing that, I found myself pretty like deep in the woods a few times and kind of up in the mountains um, and just kind of seeing like what's, what's out there to fish. And so as I kind of began to explore, I realized one day how, as I'd gotten pretty far into the woods and hiked for a long time and caught no fish that, um, you know, there's, I should probably be a little bit careful. The same kind of weak I read this article about this woman who was in Maine, and she had gone out hiking in Maine, 66 years old, 
and she had gone off the trail, could not find the trail, and she never returned. She survived for 19 days. She journaled it. They found her dead, wrapped in her sleeping bag, but she journaled her, her journey, right, of, of 19 days of surviving in the, in the woods, the wilderness of Maine. Incredible story. Also pretty terrifying for me. I was like, I need to make sure I stay on the trail, right? Just follow that water. Anyways, in the midst of that, I was like, I should probably, like, think about, like, in, just in case, like, something were to happen to me, like, what do I need to sustain myself, like, in the woods, if, if I were to get out there for a long time. And so two basic things come to mind. Like, can you, cat, can, you, can you eat? You need food, right? You need food to survive, especially for a long period of time. I'm like, well, I can fish, and I can catch fish, and that, so I'll be okay with that. But then the other thing you need is water. So if there's fish, there's usually water, but water oftentimes is not clean. So one of the things I got was I got this thing called a life straw, and uh, you can stick it in any disgusting body of water, according to what they say, and you can drink straight from it. Now, I've tried it several times. The water's pretty fresh, a little chemi- chemically in taste, but it, it, it will keep you alive and protect you from most kind of bacteria, right? And so as I kind of began to think about, like, what, you know, what would it take to sustain myself? What would it take to survive? Really, the question is, what, what do we need to sustain ourselves, and in the midst of everything, what do we need to sustain ourselves? And I think for physically, like literally to keep breathing, we need oxygen to, to actually have energy. We need food and water. Like at most basic, um, the most basic part of our humanity and survivability, we need those things, right? And what I want us to understand this morning is that Jesus, what he's communicating to his audience is that he is their sustainer, all right? And the example that he uses is bread. He says, I am the bread of life. Right? So that's what Jesus says. He literally says, I am the bread of life. And what he's essentially saying is, I am God, your sustainer. That's what he's saying. That's what the statement says to the people that hear it. So here he is in the city of Capernaum, in the, called the city of comfort, actually. And, and in Capernaum, the way, not just Capernaum, but really the surrounding area for most of the Jews, they had bread three times a day. Three times a day, that is what they ate. It is like the staple. It's what sustained them. According to some estimates, uh, Romans taxed Israelites about 80%. So they were living off of 20% of their income, right? So they couldn't eat fancy. It wasn't wasn't like nice meals and all this stuff all the time for them. It was bread. They just had enough to sustain themselves and survive. In fact, their lives looked like this. You know, for us, how we, for some of us at least, we grind coffee in the morning you wake up to it, um, you should grind. If you do that, let me just tell you right now, for those that aren't early morning people, we prefer it if you grind it the night before and then make it the next day. But if you do that, no judgment. Anyways, in the morning, for, for these people, they would grind They would grind the wheat, the, the kernels, and they would begin to then make the bread from the very beginning of the day. So you'd have fresh bread every day. You'd have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That, that is just how they sustain themselves on bread. They couldn't afford much more. So fish was another way. That was their, their main meat. This, this is just kind of how they lived their life. So if you had no wheat, you had no bread, you had no food. And so sometimes in the Bible, they, they consider this desolation when there's no wheat for, for bread to be made. All right, so understand culturally for the people that Jesus is speaking to, he, when he says, I am the bread of life, they think bread like this is what sustains us. All right, Living in Asia for many years, rice is what, it is the, it is what sustains them. It is what they have for every meal. It's, part, it's just part of 
the, the meal. It's a go-to, unless you're having noodles, okay? Sometimes both together. Anyways, but for us, we don't, we don't necessarily have that kind of staple, but for them, bread that was their staple, okay? So if you don't like gluten, you're in big trouble back then. But this is, this is where they are, okay? This is how they survive. And when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he's saying, I sustain you. I am, the, I am your source that sustains you, all right? So as we look at that, I want to look at what is the crowd, I want to unpack a little bit, verse by verse, a little bit, what is the crowd, how do they respond to Jesus' statement and what's actually going on in their hearts? Because I think if we're honest with ourselves for a second, there's a lot of crossover between what's going on in their hearts couple thousand years ago, and, and still what goes on in our hearts today. So look at verse 25, if you want, with me. And again, you can take out your book and kind of take notes, if you want, as we go along. Verse 25, it says, They found him on the other side of the sea. So they're, they're looking for him, and the crowd asks Jesus, essentially, so when did you get here? Like, we didn't see you go. When did you get here? And what's interesting about Jesus is uh, he doesn't answer their question. I kind of... It's, funny thing, but he just, he doesn't answer the question. He gets kind of right to the point with them then in verse 26. And what does he say in verse 26? Jesus answered, truly I say to you, you are, you're not seeking me, but uh, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Because you ate your fill of loaves. All right? And, and I want us to understand where our hearts are and, and, and just be honest for a second and gauge where they are and compared to the crowd. What Jesus has, has essentially said to them is you don't want me, you want my stuff, the things that I can offer you. You're not actually concerned about following me, Jesus, as a person. You don't really want to follow me. Do you want to follow me or do you just want the stuff that I've given you, the food that I put in your bellies? And then verse 27, he continues on and he basically says, are you working for material things or are you working for kingdom things, things of this world or things that will last for eternity, what is it? Heart check time. What is it that you're actually working for? And, and both of these questions, I think, are incredibly relevant for us today. What are we working for? The things of this world, material things, or are we working for things of the kingdom of God, things for eternity? And, and if you're wondering, like, what are the kingdom of God things? Those are, king, those are things that you can't take with you when you're gone. Right? Oh, sorry, the kingdom of God things, you can't, they last when you're gone. The thing, the material things, you can't take with you when you're gone. Here's, here's a simple way to, to ask this question for, for yourself. Like if you're a parent, are you more concerned and more invested in your child being successful and wealthy or in them following Jesus when they're older? Because one of those is a material wealth thing and one of them is a kingdom of God following Jesus thing. One of them is temporal. One of them lasts for eternity. If we're honest, if, if you want to test your heart to see, am I, am I following after th the material things of this world? Do I just want the stuff of Jesus or do I actually want to follow Jesus? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? That, that is a reflection of what you value, where you are investing your time and your money will show you. Are you, are you chasing after material things or are you chasing after kingdom things, things that will, will be here far after you're gone? I mean, if, if, you've been, if you've been living for a while, you have grandkids maybe, the question you probably are beginning to ask yourself is, what will my legacy be? Right? What, what will I pass on to the next generation? Because you know that you can't take it all with you when you're gone. If you work for kingdom things, I promise you, you will have a legacy that is here long after you're gone. If you work for material things, when you are gone, they will be gone also. 
That's what Jesus is saying. He's challenging them. Do you just want my stuff, or do you really want to follow me? Verse 28 to 29, he says this then to them. He says, Then they said to him, What must we do? What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. In other words, their, their default method, what they automatically go to, and they're like, okay, so how do we work for, for kingdom things? If we're worried about things that are eternal, how do we do that? How do we go about working on those things? Immediately their hearts, and I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, our hearts go to how do I perform? What, what is A, B, C? What are the steps that I need to do to, sh- to make sure I'm working for the eternal things? What, what are the most important things? What are the step-by-step process that I need to do? And again, this is Israel's history. It's all laws and sacrifices. We, we've looked at that through the series. So that's, that's their default. That's what they're looking at. What do I have to do? And Jesus' response is incredible to them. He says, believe. Believe in the one whom he sent. And what Jesus is saying is believe in me. Believe, and if you break down believe, essentially what it comes down to for them is trust. Do you trust that Christ is the Messiah? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? In verse 30 to, to 34, then he goes on. It's almost like their, their question, when, when they begin to sense what Jesus is saying is, oh, I, well, this is, are you going to believe in me? It's almost like they push back and say, so what, do you, what sign do you show? Like, what do you have to offer us? Because if I, we look back to Moses... He provided manna in, in the wilderness, right? And what he's referencing here, when he talks about manna, he's referencing Exodus chapter 16, where if you guys remember back again to our Leviticus series, God has taken his people out of Egypt, establishing them as a people. They don't have food to survive. They need to be sustained somehow. And God miraculously provides food for them, the manna. It's on the ground. They're to go out and eat it. If you want, you can go and read the story in Exodus 16. They go out and they eat it every day. They can only take enough for each day. Except for the day before the Sabbath, they can take enough for two. People that try to take too much, it disappears, and they only have enough for that day. People that don't gather enough, it's amazing. It lasts more, and they have enough for that day. God miraculously provides for them. And what they're saying, though, is, hey, Moses essentially provided this food for us. What are you doing for us? Now, think about how insulting this is for Jesus, just for a second. He's literally been healing them. He made food for them. Every, you know, He provided food for them just the day before. And here these people are saying, what have you done for us lately? Like their hearts are revealed in this moment. They don't want to really follow Jesus. They just want his stuff. (coughs) Excuse me. And Jesus goes on then to rebuke him. He says, it wasn't Moses that provided for you. It was your heavenly father who provided for you. Not only that, did he provide for you physically then, he's provided something even better for you now. He's provided a person. In verse 33, it says this, for the bread of God is he, look at that, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The bread of God is he, it's a person. And what Jesus is beginning to point to is, hey, this, this is me. I am the sustaining provision for you. And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying, and that, that begins to get uncomfortable for them. He's saying, I give you life, not only for this life, but for eternity. I provide for you. In verse 35, then, through 40, 
Jesus goes on to say, I am the bread of life. Like, like we, we read, he declares, I am the bread of life. And whoever believes, whoever trusts in me, won't hunger and they, they won't thirst. What Jesus is saying to these people is, I am your sustainer. I am your life giver. Like the manna back then, I am I'm that. I provide daily sustainability for you, not just for your life, but for eternity. He is, when you have no water, the life straw, right? He sustains you. And as he communicates this to the people, you may be thinking, well, you know, there's times where, you know, I don't have, and I think (coughs) what we're looking at is what Paul says in Philippians 4.11. I've learned the secret of being content in all things, being thankful in all circumstances, right? There is this contentment that we have. God will meet our physical needs, not necessarily all of our wants, right? Not only that, but his primary desire He states it in verse 40. Look what it says in verse 40. He says, For this is the will of my Father. This is the will. This is his Father's desire here. This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's God's desire. If you ever wonder what is is God's desire, what is his heart for his people, His heart, his desire is that all of us who look at Jesus and believe that he is the son of God, that he is here, that he came in the flesh, paid the penalty for us, and all of us who look on him and believe, his desire is that we would believe, that we would trust, and that we would have eternal life. His desire is to be with his people for eternity. That is God the Father's desire for us. And these people are, are around Jesus and they're looking at him and as we're going to see, they're, they're like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't really know if, if we can believe that you're actually who you say you are. We don't, I don't know if I can actually believe that you are God in this moment. Right? They're, they struggle. But Jesus is adamant that he is their sustainability. He, in other words, he daily sustains them. Think about what that means for us today. Like, how are we sustained today? Because I think when we think about bread, half of us don't even eat it anymore because we're like, it's not good for us. But what, like, what is it, what is it that sustains us, right? What is, what is it that sustains you? I was trying to think about it. I'm like, your Wi-Fi connection or LTE connection, is that what sustains us these days? Everyone needs to be connected to the internet all the time. If we don't have it, we're like, oh my gosh, are we going to are we going to be okay? Does that sustain us? Maybe Jesus to us would be like, I am your Wi-Fi connection. Without me, with me, there's never a dead spot. I don't know. All right, that, you know, is that what he's saying? I think maybe practically as we look, maybe more realistically at it's springtime and all the flowers are coming out, it's like Jesus saying, I'm, I'm like the sunlight giving life to the plants, bringing them to life. I sustain them. If if spring doesn't come, if the sun doesn't break through the clouds and the temperatures don't get warmer, those, those plants die, right? And it's almost like Jesus is saying, that I, I'm like sunshine, I'm giving life. He is our sustainer. And once you have it, you want more of it, right? I mean, once, I don't know about you guys, but when spring comes around, I get a little bit of sunshine. I just want more. I just want more sunshine. I want more warm weather. I'm just, I'm done with winter. And, and that's what it's like. Once, once we have the bread of life, once we experience Jesus, once we understand who he is and what he's done for us, our hearts, our desires should want to have more and more of him. He, because he sustains us, we can't get enough of it. All right? If we look to anything besides Jesus, hear my heart, if we look to anything besides Jesus to sustain us, 
It will fall short. It will disappoint us. If we try to make anything else besides Jesus sustain us spiritually, it will lead us eventually to death. It will kill us if we try to have other things sustaining us. It most certainly will kill us because it will not give us eternal life. Only Jesus is the bread of life that sustains us. We need to understand that this morning, the crowd, is, as they're beginning to hear it, they, they hear it, but they, they don't necessarily receive it. Look what he says then in verses 47 to 51. He says this, Truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. What Jesus is saying here is, look, uh, <laughs> God provided manna for them in the wilderness and still they rebelled. They didn't follow God. They did not make it into the promised land. That generation that was first provided manna, they all rebelled. They all died in the wilderness. Verse 50 then says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Jesus is talking about eternal life here. He's weak to be with our Father in heaven forever. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And everyone's like, this just got awkward, right? I mean, really, they're, they're sitting there thinking, what, your, your bread and now your flesh? Like, okay, I understand. I was very uncomfortable already with your I am statement, Jesus, and you being the sustainer, maybe. I really was on more of like a prophet kind of thought with you, but actually eating your flesh, like that's kind of weird, Right? And I think if, if you're not familiar with uh, our Christian traditions and our sacraments, you may not know this, but what, what Jesus does at the Last Supper is he, he talks about his body being broken for us and his, his blood being poured out for us. And so when we take communion, we take it in remembrance of him. His disciples didn't actually eat his flesh. All right? So we, he, what Jesus is doing, he's foreshadowing what's going to come. He's prophesying about his death and his resurrection. His body will be broken for us. And by partaking of communion, we are recognizing that we are, part, we are partaking in his death and his resurrection. That just like we celebrated on Easter last week that he was brought from, from death to life, that we too, that can be for us too if we believe in him and partake in that. Right? And the crowd begins to get incredibly uncomfortable here as, as Jesus communicates this to them. And essentially, at the core, what they're beginning to wrestle with is, do I really, what it was to do the work of Christ is to believe, right? And so what they're wrestling with in this moment is, do I actually believe that Jesus is a prophet or do I believe that he is God, that he's the Messiah, that he is Christ, that he is the word and the word became flesh and is dwelling among us? Like what, I'm wrestling with who Jesus is in this moment, right? And as they wrestle, they begin to get very uncomfortable, Verse, uh, as they say that, I think for our hearts, we need to wrestle with the same thing. It's the question that's been at the beginning. You're talking about a crowd who liked what Jesus provided for them, and now a crowd that has found him. And basically, they're saying, are you going to feed us again, Jesus? Like, are you going to fill our bellies? Are you going to give us the things that we want? And I think in this moment, in verses 47 to 51, they're beginning to realize, I don't think that he's going to multiply the bread and the fish anymore. Like he's talking about eating his flesh. That's weird. I don't think he's going to do that. And as that begins to happen, I think they begin to kind of back away. They begin to walk away. We're going to see later in the text what happens. And so for us, if we can just pause for a second. 
when, and, and, just, and just really in our hearts say, okay, can we believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do we believe that he is the Christ? That is to do the work that God has for us, is to believe. Number one, the second then, thing then is this. Do you, do you really want to follow Jesus or do you just want the stuff that comes with following Jesus? That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a hard heart check. I think for, for me, at least this week, and, and uh, hopefully for you, you can write that question down in your bookets if you want. Do you want to follow Jesus or do you just want his stuff? Because this is what they're all wrestling with. So let me translate it for us into, into modern day context. Do you just want Jesus to meet your, your physical wants or do you really want to follow him? That means if there's no promotion at work, right, that you've been praying for, are you still, I still choose to follow you, Jesus. The American dream that, that you've been after, right? If you don't get that, you still choose to, to follow Jesus. If, if Jesus doesn't heal your sickness, if the cancer is, is not gone, do you still choose to follow Jesus? If you don't get into the college that you wanted to, if you don't get the grades that you want to, do you still choose to follow Jesus? If it's not the house you wanted because it's not an open floor concept, do you still choose to follow Jesus? Do you just want his stuff? And not all those things even come with Jesus' stuff, but some of us think they do. Or, or do we actually want Jesus himself, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, paying the penalty for our sin on the cross? What do we want? Do we want Jesus' stuff, what comes with him, the things of him, or do we really want to follow him? And ultimately the question is, what are we more concerned about? This life or eternal life? Verses 52 then to 59. He goes on to say this. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of this flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in him. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is the true flood, my blood is the true drink. All right, now it's gotten way too weird for people. They're just like, this is too much. Like, I, it's, I don't know what you're talking about. Again, for those of us that know, we know that Jesus is talking about communion and, and what he's going to do on the cross. He prophesies of his death and his resurrection. All right, and as people begin to, to really understand this and take this in, they're faced with the choice. If this is the Son of God, if this truly is God in the flesh, then he may say some really hard, really weird things that I can't wrap myself around, but he is Lord, he is our king, and I submit to whatever he says, and eventually I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to make sense. But instead, they realize, man, he's not going to give us what I want. And then look at verse 65. They say this, and after this, after he talks about all this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Not just the crowd, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And, and what does that reveal? I think in their hearts, like they wanted this notoriety. There was obviously some fame. I mean, 5,000 people, that's a crowd back then, especially. There's a lot of people following Jesus. They're excited about the momentum and the movement and everything seems great as long as people like Jesus. And as soon as people are like, that's a little weird. This is getting a little uncomfortable I don't really know if I'm on board with this. Their hearts are revealed, and it seems like, it would seem like from the text, people were a lot more concerned about what Jesus could offer, the stuff that he had, the healing that he offered, the popularity, right, the status that he offered. And as soon as that was gone and, and, and people began to feel uncomfortable, 
they walk away. And the only way that you can walk away from Jesus, if, 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 man, if you, if you start to realize, I don't really believe that he's the actual sustainer. Because no matter how nasty it gets it out, if I get lost fishing, like, I need the water. Like, I can't walk away. I can't leave that water because it will sustain me. Right? And so if Jesus really is the Son of God, if there's no other way to eternal life except for him, then the question is, do you believe? Do you really believe he is who he says he is? If he sustains you, you have to believe the words that are coming from his mouth and what he's saying. You have to believe, and ultimately at the core of that belief is a trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Look at verse 66 to 69. It says this, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, Peter gets it in this moment. He recognizes Jesus is the bread of life. He is the sustainer. If he is sustaining me, where else will I go? If Jesus is it, if he is the I am, the bread of life, he was beginning and the end, he is before all, if he is everything, he sustains and holds everything together, where else will we possibly go? This may be a hard saying to accept and I may not be able to wrap my mind around it, but gosh, if he is who he says he is, we better trust him and there's nowhere else to go if he sustains us. Peter gets it. For all of his faults in this, in this moment, he gets it. And what Peter is saying in this moment is, is a question, something that all of us need to wrestle with. And you can write this down. Is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? For Peter, he was. But is Jesus enough for you? If Jesus doesn't ever do anything else for you, there's no wealth, prosperity, health, if, if nothing else. Is the cross, the resurrection, is Jesus enough for you? I mean, guys, we really have to answer that question. Like, God will, he, he will daily sustain us for our physical needs until it's time for us to go home to be with him. Most importantly, he certainly will provide spiritually for our needs and ultimately for our eternal needs with him. But I want us to, to really believe, to ask ourselves in our hearts, to heart check this morning, is Jesus enough for you? If he never does anything else, if he never provides the dream that, that you have, is he enough for you? If, if, if your work, you don't get the promotion, the business that you're trying to start, it fails, is Jesus enough for you? If the broken relationship is not healed, is Jesus still enough for you? If the marriage isn't fixed, is Jesus still enough for you? If the prodigal son or daughter that just seems to have taken advantage of your love for them for years and run away does not come home, is Jesus still enough for you? If your life is full of struggles, is Jesus still enough for you? If he doesn't cure the cancer and you lose your loved ones, is Jesus still enough for you? In other words, are you following Jesus for the stuff you think you get for following him? Or are you following Jesus because he's the bread of life? He sustains us 
daily. And there's nowhere else to go. We can chase after all kinds of other things, but all of those things will lead to death. Is Jesus, the bread of life, sustainer of all things, is he enough for you this morning? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help us in our hearts. Have hearts that, that declare, Jesus, you're enough. I don't care if you do anything else for me, Lord. If you don't provide in any other way the fact, the cross, the resurrection, it was enough by itself. Help us to be content in our hearts. Help us not to follow after you for the wrong reasons, God, but to follow you because you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are our Savior, our Sustainer, our Redeemer. You are holy, God. Help us know that you are the great I Am, the bread of life. Let us think about that, meditate on it daily, that picture of being daily sustained. Let that be on our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.